Over the last few Sundays together, we have been spending our Sunday mornings in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Most of you know that Nehemiah was a close confidant of King Artaxerxes, who was the ruler of the Persian Empire. And what we're about to focus on took place in the year 445 BC. Folks from Jerusalem and Israel had been forcibly repatriated, or patriated rather, to parts of the Persian Empire. And over the last hundred years or so, they've been gradually drifting back to Jerusalem. And in the building of the city of Jerusalem, again, they have been able to put the temple in place. But the wall surrounding the city and the homes and the streets are in pretty dire circumstance. Most are lying in rubble and ruin, and they are just getting by. And when Nehemiah hears about this, he applies to Artaxerxes, asks for permission and resources to rebuild the city wall. And so he's been back in or rather, he's been in Jerusalem building the city wall over the last few weeks. And in thinking this would be a simple construction project, the tension and criticism began to mount. And so as we come into chapter 6, they're just about finished the wall when opposition to the rebuilding is taken to a whole new level. So let's begin Nehemiah 6 at verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. But there they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come and let us confer together. I sent him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. A number of you, I suspect, will be familiar with a Christian pastor and prodigious writer, Max Lacado. Max has written the best part of 30 books, best-selling author, very fine Christian. And if you're looking for a warm devotional book to read, Max Lacado will produce that for you. And in his book entitled Don't Give Up, he writes the following. I discovered the importance of healthy advice 
in a half Ironman triathlon. After the 1.2 mile swim, the 56 mile bike ride, I didn't have much energy left for the 13.1 mile run. And I'm thinking to myself, well, no wonder, that's an incredible thing. And then he writes, neither did the fellow jogging next to me. I asked him how he was doing and soon regretted asking him. This is awful, he said. This race is the dumbest decision I've ever made. Lacado goes on and says he had more complaints than a taxpayer at the IRS. My response to him was, thank you and goodbye. If I had listened too much longer, I would start to agree with him. And then I caught up with a 66-year-old grandmother. Her tone was just the opposite. You'll finish this, she encouraged. It's hot, but at least it's not raining. One step at a time. Don't give up. Stay hydrated. You've got this. I ran next to her until my heart was lifted and my legs were aching. And when I finally had to slow down, she said, no problem, keep going. She waved and kept going. Now, those are the kind of people I think most of us like as friends. The sorts of folks who know when we're going through a tough day or things are not going well, they're there for us, listening, engaging, encouraging, praying for us. Right there, you've got this. Keep going. Those were exactly the kind of friends Nehemiah needed. Over the last couple of Sundays, we've noticed that opposition has been mounting for Nehemiah. I imagine when he first got to Jerusalem, in fact, in chapter 2, we read he said nothing, that he very quietly looked around all the walls. He was prayerful and planning and thinking, how could we do this? And he approaches the people of Jerusalem thinking to himself, this is a reasonably straightforward construction task. And it was. And in speaking to civil engineers and stonemasons and those who work at the local quarry and organizing folks to clear away the rubble and get this project up and running, it's a relatively straightforward construction project. But the opposition doesn't come from those busy with the project, those who are mixing cement and helping the stonemasons. It comes from people in the nearby regions. Sanballat, Old Testament scholars tell us, was probably the governor of Samaria, which was the region immediately to the north. And they realized that if Jerusalem was able to put up their walls, if they were able to clear the streets, make for themselves homes, this would be a people on the ascendancy that trade and employment and import and export would begin to rise. People of Israel would become a nation once again. And so the neighboring region started to criticize and started to doubt and say this would never happen. And all of this comes to a head right here in those early verses of chapter 6. Now, you may never find yourself in national leadership like Nehemiah, but opposition may come to you in your own life in slightly different ways. You may, for example, have applied for a position in your place of employment, thinking that you are gifted for that situation. You have the necessary 
expertise and experience. The qualifications are there. Folks who know you well are encouraging you. You go through the first interview process and it goes well. You go to the second, then you move to a third. And right at the last minute, when you knew that God was leading and guiding and directing and answering your prayers, the job goes to someone else. And you think, oh, Father, why did you do this? Why didn't you stop me at the first interview? Why did you let me go all the way through this only at the last minute for it to go to someone else? Or in your spiritual life, towards the end of last year, you had moments of great intimacy with the Lord. Each time you lifted the Scripture and read it in your quiet time, your heart and mind and soul had been warmed and nourished. And those were exciting, wonderful days as you drew closer and closer to Him. And then January came. You were back at work and life has got busy, and before you know it, you're beginning to wander, and your times of prayer are not what they once were. Your marriage disagreement has become argument, and oh, it's just one thing after another. In these early Sundays, when we looked at Nehemiah, for Nehemiah was initially looking at the enormity of the task that lay before him to build a secure wall for the entire city. We tried to make the point that Sunday that God is sufficient for all our needs. Now, we know that and we believe it. We've probably written it down. It may even be in the margin of our Bible at some point. But Christians from time to time struggle with amnesia. Do we not? We forget how good God is. We forget how sufficient He is. We forget when He's answered prayer and been leading and guiding and directing us in the past. Because when opposition comes, when challenge comes our way, when difficult circumstance comes our way, we are so busy focused on the challenge in front of us that we forget His response in grace. And so we're caught up with the challenges. Nehemiah does exactly what we expect him to do. Because in previous Sundays, we have discovered this, that relation, excuse me, let me rephrase it, leadership comes from relationship. And for Nehemiah, his national responsibility, his national leadership was conceived and birthed in his relationship with God. God. And notice what happens when the opposition begins to build. Look at it again. Verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. Four times he sent the same message. And you would imagine anyone in Nehemiah's position would say, well, can a little diplomacy hurt? Maybe I should sit down. Maybe we should talk. Maybe it's just a misunderstanding. Perhaps things can be worked out. Ono was 
three days journey and three days discussion and three days back. But Nehemiah was insightful enough to understand this, that if he had gone to the plain of Ono, he would never be seen again. And so in response, he says, what? Oh, no. Now, you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? Somewhere along the line, you knew that. Brian, did you miss that? Were you, asleep? Were you sleeping? Nudge him. Please nudge him. He missed it. Went right over his head. He was sleeping. Nehemiah understood exactly what was going on. Because with godly leadership comes insight, discernment, wisdom. How on earth did he get this far in the first place? Because here was the living God leading, guiding, directing. And notice what he says in return. He says, verse 3, So I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times he was asked, four times he was invited, and he had said, no, thank you, I'm simply not going there. Now remember what had happened. Remember the pressure that Nehemiah was under. What was it we said last Sunday morning? We said this, that Nehemiah would be faced with unforeseen setbacks, unrelenting deadlines, Increasing criticism, personality conflicts, financial pressures. He was under the gun. But he understood this, that God was sufficient for his every need. Say it with me. God was sufficient for his every need. Once again. God was sufficient for his every need. And the next time your back is up against a wall and opposition is real and you do not know where to go, please remember, God is sufficient for your every need. And Nehemiah was determined that he would not deal with others because first and foremost, he had to deal with the call of God in his life. And then the story develops. And notice what happens next. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem were intimidating. That was what they were seeking to do. In their minds, they were saying, in terms of Nehemiah, I will intimidate until he capitulates. Intimidate until he capitulates. And Nehemiah was having none of it. And notice what they do. They send a personal note this time. And please notice what happens. Insidious criticism moves to conspiracy. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building a wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and you have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. And notice how Nehemiah deals with it. He deals with it in a spectacular fashion. And sometimes people will say to me, 
uh, or you may be in the situation where you are under pressure and criticism is coming to you, and notice what he says. He says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head. The next time someone's giving you a hard time, send them a scripture passage. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 8. Nothing like this is happening. You're making it up out of your own head. Do you see what's happening? Sanballat begins, it is being reported. He provides no evidence at all. In other words, he's saying, people are saying. That's the last bastion of the scoundrel and the rogue. People are saying, no evidence. Entirely created for mischief and criticism. And then he goes on and he says, well, Geshem says it's true. Oh, well, we should just throw up our hands and say, that's it. If Geshem says it's true, how ridiculous. It's almost humorous. And what does Nehemiah do? He continues to respond to the call of God. What did we say last Sunday? He continues with constructive change. Astute observation. Careful planning. Appropriate timing. Personal motivation. Dedication and clear vision. That's godly leadership in practice. Constructive change. Astute observation. Nehemiah understood exactly what was going on, and he was not willing to surrender or give up in the face of criticism, regardless of how difficult it became. In fact, notice what he does do. Notice who he does speak to. They're saying, come and speak to us. Come and spend time with us. And what does Nehemiah do? Verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. And notice what he does. But I prayed. Notice the one he does go to to spend time with. Notice the one he does need to hear from. Notice the one he does share his thinking with. Now strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Father, grant me your enabling grace. Strengthen me. Enable me, please, to sense you continuing to be in the midst of this. That's what was going on right there. How many times in the past have we talked about prayer and described it this way? It's like climbing up into the lap of God. Because when you are there, perspective is gained. Vision is renewed. There you are strengthened. There you are renewed. Your resolve is refreshed. That's why prayer is central and primacy, a place of primacy in the heart of the Christian. It begins and ends in prayer, godly leadership. Now, notice quickly how it ends. Come to verse 15, and we didn't read this, so you'll need to look down in your passage the title is The Completion of the Wall. And in verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul. 
in 52 days, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid, lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, you may be sitting there and saying, Richard, I have a question. And it's an obvious question. If the wall is now complete, chapter 6, verse 15, why doesn't Nehemiah just finish his journal and say, and we all lived happily ever after, amen? Why is there several more chapters? After all, wasn't the building of the wall the main focal point of the entire narrative in Nehemiah? What is going on? What, what else needs to be done? Because so far, the building of the wall has in fact been the focal point. But it's a focal point for the next phase of life and ministry in Jerusalem. Folks, please hear me when I say this. When Greenville Health System builds a hospital, they don't say once the hospital is built, ah, we're finished, the hospital is now complete. When Greenville County Council put up an elementary school or a secondary school, they don't say, well done, thank you contractors, you can go home, and we all lived happily ever after. It is how the school impacts the children that's what makes the difference. It is how the hospital cares compassionately for those who are wounded and in need of healing and wholeness. The school educates and matures children and impacts and influences those lives. The wall in Jerusalem was not the final project. Because next Sunday morning and in subsequent Sundays, what we're going to see is this. The wall was necessary in order to impact and influence and transform the people in the city. The wall was not God's final plan. It was step one as he moves them forward. Now, you as a congregation have been hearing over the last few weeks that in the last four to five years, we as a church have been going through a strategic plan. And now we're moving very rapidly into the next phase of that strategic plan. And that means for us a comprehensive capital campaign. And that will mean a new gymnasium, new facilities for our youth, a new children's area, new classrooms for adults, a new gathering space, a bookstore, a coffee store, a huge gathering space, but most of all, a worship and art center that can seat 1,100 people. Why now? Because I've just come from the Ignite service, and for the first five minutes, we were still lifting hands to say, there's a seat here and a few there and a few there. We are out of room downstairs. We are growing numerically, but more importantly, we're growing spiritually. Five years ago at Christmas Eve, we had 2,200 people here at two services. A few weeks ago at Christmas Eve, we had 3,000 people at four services. We are not able to keep up with the growth we're seeing. 
last year in one of our new member classes, and we had so many of them, it's hard for me to honestly get my head round. We had two young ladies in the late 20s, both expecting the first child. And in the same class, we had two retired pastors. This morning, in this service, you will have nine-year-olds to 90-year-olds. And we had it at the 8.30 service as well. God is at work in our midst. Greenville is not the fourth fastest growing city in the nation by accident or chance. And we have this incredible opportunity to be the people of God he is calling us to be. There is a huge price tag on it. I am fearful when I even think about it. $35 million we need to put together in order to be the church we're being called to be. Can you imagine how many nights I've been unable to sleep and praying and thinking and wrestling, saying, Father, are you here? Are you in the midst of this? It will take incredible sacrifice, not just for one year, but for several. But I know this, that when God is about to work, he surrounds you with outstanding people. People who are ready to roll up their sleeves, who are ready to sacrifice, who are ready to give and pray and encourage. People who are like the 66-year-old grandmother. Keep going. You can do this. At least it's not raining. You've got it. Keep going. That's where we are. We're in the midst of exciting days. God is at work. And what is our prayer? simply this, Father, strengthen our hands. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture, a passage which challenges us and calls us to draw closer to you. May we feel and sense and know your presence as we stand at the crossroads of all that you have in mind for us. Bless us, encourage us, equip us by your grace to be the people to finish the task you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.